0: Good morning, welcome to Lakeside Christian Church. We're thrilled that you're here with us to worship today and to hear from God's word. Um, it's uh, great to see so many visitors. And my name is Brad Horner, I'm the youth pastor here, and it's a privilege to been serving here um, for a while, and uh, this is my first sermon in the sermon series. We, this summer we've been going through wisdom, less noise, and more insight, and uh, we've been looking through each of the um, books of wisdom in the scriptures, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, This is our second week in Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Just two weeks as a 35,000-foot overview of the books to kind of whet your appetite for more of God's Word. Um, And Peter's been talking about summer reading, and sometimes we have more time in the summer, and so it's good to read. And oftentimes we forget to recommend... We'll recommend a bunch of other books, but we'll forget to recommend books of the Bible. And so the importance of just sitting down and and reading through, and if you haven't taken the time um, the last week or so to look through Ecclesiastes and just sit and read through it, it is a a very provocative book, uh, challenging and uh, helpful and so relevant to our life today. And that is one of the things as we open the Word of God and we come to it, we see um, that it is a divine book that that God spoke, and though it was written thousands of years ago, it speaks to our very hearts and our minds right where we're at in our day and age. And so I'd like to invite you to open up to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's on page 524 in the Pew Bible provided. And we'll be uh, looking at the, the just the conclusion of the sermon. Last week we were introduced to Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes as a sermon, and uh, as uh, Solomon uh, walks through life and uh, pursuits and uh, he, and then today will be the conclusion uh, of that in chapter twelve and uh, as I look through Ecclesiastes and and, uh, and was considering this. Uh, A song came to mind uh, that Johnny Cash covered uh, a few years ago called Hurt. And it says, uh, part of it says, Beneath the stains of time, the feelings disappear. You are someone else. I am still here. What have I become? My sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. Such a sad and depressing song coming from someone who, uh, who had it all according to the world's standards, fame, fortune, um, and, and yet the ups and downs and the trials of life become very clear that it's an empire of dirt. It's a, a fleeting moment, it doesn't last. And, that, and that's, that's what Solomon is saying, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, as he has everything this world could desire, power, money, um, prestige, wisdom, People sought him out, but he's like, in everything in life's pursuits, apart from God, it leads to emptiness and meaninglessness. And so as we consider these thoughts going into Ecclesiastes 12, we'll pick up and read in verse 1 through the end of the chapter. The preacher writes, "'Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, "'before the evil days come and the years draw near, "'of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them.'" They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was... And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And as we read through that, I'd like to turn your attentions back to verse eight. It says, "Vanity of vanities," says the preacher, "All is vanity." And uh, and this term in the Hebrew actually could be translated breath, vapor, or mist as well. Um, It means that life is passing quickly. Everything in life, it passes so quickly. And In um, two through seven, he begins to unpack so many realities of aging, the reality that life passes before we know it. Uh, even this morning, on a couple occasions, I've heard, oh man, time passes so fast. It's been, it just seems like yesterday or it's, and, and so much things have changed. Um, just in a short time, it, but then we realize how quickly that, that time passes. I, I used to meet with a friend of mine weekly and then we took a break and then we picked up getting together again weekly and we began to consider how long it had been since we last met and it turned out it was seven years but it seemed like oh it was just just a few months ago just like that just passes so quickly and isn't it true the older we get how much quicker time seems to pass the seasons change and the time passes and it just goes so quickly but here the preacher is going back to something he referred to in chapter 1. He says, everything passes, everything, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And he, he uh, went through the book describing how he sought to find pleasure in his work and his toil and his desires and physical things. And, and everything um, was empty and meaningless and passes, and, and it leads to what feels like a wasted life, even as that song Johnny Cash said, my empire of dirt, everything I've gathered at a mass, it's just, it's nothing It fades away. And so it passes quickly. James writes, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It happens so quickly. In regards to this, Derek Prime, who was uh, the mentor of Alistair Begg, wrote a book called A Good Old Age. And uh, it's an A to Z of loving and following the Lord Jesus in latter years. And here he's in his 80s writing a book and he just has, uh, through the alphabet, uh, more of a daily reflection on how to live to a good old age and facing the reality of this life. And and he starts off saying this, Old age may alarm us. It can bring humiliating experiences. Some of its limitations may take away our natural dignity. Worse still is the daunting possibility of dementia even to the point where we may not remember our own name. But, but while there may be a bad old age, when we feel weighed down with years, there is a good old age to which we may aspire. Every period of life has its appointed benefits and excellence. The problems we encounter in old age are not new. I may become frail and stooped and have an increasing number of wrinkles. My skin may become thin, translucent, vulnerable, My ankles may swell and throb, and my legs experiencing frightening cramp in the night. I may have to depend upon a walking frame to get about my home. My brittle bones may make me afraid of falling. Ecclesiastes 12 tells a similar story. But while reaching 70 is a good lifespan, our years will never be without their troubles. Their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 10. The perils to avoid when we reach an old age, we are in danger of making several mistakes. Pretending old age is not creeping up on us, always comparing the present with the past, mistrust, pessimism, self-pity, but there is a wonderful potential to embrace. In fact, old age can be the most fruitful period of our life. An important part of that fruitfulness is the ability to, to give good and wise counsel, not presuming to say I know all the answers, but rather I know God-honoring principles that have best guided me in life. Younger people are able to apply the principles we share in a way that is appropriate for them to the end of our life we may discover the good works God has prepared for us to do in whatever circumstances we find ourselves both expected and unexpected how sad is it if we so regret not doing what we have so much enjoyed doing in the past that we fail to see what God has for us to do in the present old age is also a unique opportunity for intercession we have more time to pray than before and we have trodden many of the paths of those for whom we pray all these aspects mean that in old age, we may even be identified as vital members of the body of Christ. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 1 Corinthians 12, <clears throat> And taking from his wisdom, on, when I heard about the book, I, I picked it up because I want to read this to live to a good old age and apply these principles now. Um, as I read through this, and I read through Ecclesiastes 12, there are, are beginning signs of aging, though I'm still young, and I consider myself very young, and I hang out with the youth all the time, so I tell myself I'm very young, but then reality sets in that I'm not as young as I used to think I was. Um, and, but there are, as I went to my eye doctor not too long ago, and said, oh, you've entered the magic decade where tromboning becomes part of my reading, um, you know, and then uh, the phantom pains here and there, and And then just uh, two weeks ago, the youth group and I went to the ledges, Virginia Kendall ledges, a great park to hike in. And every time I go there, I just realize how my perspective of life changes as I age. When I went there as a kid, I would want to daringly get up to the very edge and then I'd, uh, as a teenager, I did what I wasn't supposed to do, and I jumped across the rocks that were too dangerous to jump on. And then uh, a few years ago, I first noticed it, taking the youth group to ledges and be like, hey, stay back from the edge. <laughs> this year, it's get back from the edge. Guys, get back from the, just just come over here. All right, just get away from there. Uh, even though I wanted to sit on top of the overlook to do my lesson, it was like precarious. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, I begin to sound like my father did when I was a kid. And, uh, and that's not a bad thing. Ecclesiastes talk about it, where, where we begin to fear heights is what he, he said. We realize our frailty and how easy life can pass. As a kid, we think we're invulnerable and we can do whatever we want and nothing's going to hurt us. And as we age, we begin to say, no, actually life passes quickly. And, and, and the preacher says earlier in Ecclesiastes, it's better to be in the house of mourning. Why? Because it reminds us that life is, just passes quickly. and Death is a reality, and we have to be prepared for that. And so, yeah, we have this reality of the brevity of life. Therefore, if we go back to verse 1, we should pri- prioritize our faith in God It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. If we would consider to read through um, two through eight in a more detailed manner, we'd see uh, he he describes the aging process in a very poetic way Um, from just our our bodies trembling to the different aging principles and and eyes failing, ears failing, um, and, and just all, life passes. But in this, we see that if you are um, still here, then this applies to you. <laughs> um, it, it gets, it ends with when the silver cord has, has broken and death happens and we go to be with our creator. Like until that point in time, the preacher is saying, remember your creator. Remember your Creator, and and as a youth pastor, I, I love this verse because it says, "Remember your Creator also in the days of your youth." And why we spend so much time, effort, and money towards our teens to train them in godliness in partnership with our parents and our and our church community, because it's so important that we we remember our Creator. Uh, Frederick uh, Buckner said this. He says, evil evolves, holiness happens. And as I reflected on that statement, the fact that if you do nothing in this life, evil will just, sin will just evolve in your life. But holiness, you have to work for. You have to act towards. Like, not in a justification or earning your salvation manner, but I need to discipline myself each day to be in the Word of God. I need to pray. I need to surround myself with Christians. I need to practice walking out my faith. And if I don't, then evil will creep up in my heart. So a few years ago, I I thought I'd try to experiment. This is in college, but, um, you know, it says true believer desires to be in the word of God. And I'd been in some programs that forced quiet time and made sure that every day I was required to do uh, my quiet time. And and I was like, this isn't something that I should be required to do. It's just something I desire to do. So I'm going to take a break from the requirement and see, you know, and and then start doing it when I desire to be in the Word of God. A day passed, a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, and all of a sudden I realized, whoa, I have not been in my Bible and I can't tell you how long. I mean, I went to church and stuff, but how that transformed my own heart. The evil was evolving. It was just taking back over because I wasn't feeding the inner man, the new man that God has given. And so why it's so important to say, no, I'm I'm going to discipline myself. It, it, It takes... Um, a desire to pursue holiness in God. And how we do that is to remember our creator, It is to prioritize our faith. And one, one we have to remember is who God is. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he's a rewarder, uh, re- and he rewards those who seek him. And so we have to remember that God does exist and who he is. He is our creator, I mean, what is the implications of saying God is our creator? That God spoke the world into existence and created Adam and Eve and uh, formed them by hands and gave them the image of God and gave us the image of God. Like, what is the implications of that? It means that as our creator, he knows what's best for our life and that we should look to him and lean upon him for our understanding of life. You know, if we, if we buy a certain product, say, a cell phone, it, there is actually a, ma- a manual that you can get. Most of them come on PDF or digital now. But, you, um, but you know, if you really want to know how to use it to the fullest, there's a manual that will describe exactly how to use it. Most of the times, I just mash buttons until I figure it out, uh, which is a good way to, to frustrate and leave um, and not do what I wanted to do and maybe break it at times. But God's word is our manual for life and how our creator has called us and and his story of how he has called all things into existence and he has planned from time past the redemptive story of how to bring us into a right relationship with him and one day return to restore all things uh, as it was intended. So God is the creator, he is sovereign over all, and he is our father. Again, the implications, if God is in control of all things, nothing takes him by surprise, And I can trust that he knows what he's doing, even when my experience doesn't uh, say that. And that's one of the things Ecclesiastes brings out, that even with the knowledge of God, there are things that happen in life that sometimes we can't explain, and we're not going to get the why answers to it. And, And yet God knows, and God is working in ways we can't imagine. And he is our father. He's called us into a relationship. So we need to remember first who God is, what God has done. He created the world. He planned out the redemption from the beginning, orchestrated events to bring his word into the world through a called out people group in Israel. Um, and then in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son into the world to redeem the world. He initiates, he provides, he calls, he saves. He saves. I mean, God has done so much, and he has blessed us, and then in our own lives, if we would walk back and say, what has God done um, in my life that have revealed who he is, and uh, to to spend time and moments and to reflect upon, at, at a very young age, my my mom led me to the Lord. And then at 12 years old, I was baptized and I got a chance to go through, through Bible clubs and, and Christian schools and off to college and onto different missions trip to see how God has protected us. And I could tell you stories about money that I had no idea where it came from so I could go do what God called me to do. I can tell you about times when I should have died but God spared my life. And I can tell you all these, I can look back and say, whoa, God has done amazing things in my life. I can trust him to remember these things, to reflect upon those things. And then to remember the promises of God. So in remembering our creator to prioritize our faith, we need to remember who God is, what he's done, and the promises that he's given because we need to we need to hold fast to the promises. In Psalm 135 it says his steadfast love will never fail. What a promise. God's steadfast love it will never fail. Zephaniah 3:17 says he is in our midst and he sings over us. The promise that man he he is with us and he enjoys us. That is amazing to think that the God of the universe enjoys being with us. What a blessing that is! First John 4, 10 says his wrath was satisfied because he sent Jesus to be our propitiation. There it is, Jerry. He's um, teasing me a little bit. This is, this is actually my favorite uh, um, favorite word in the Bible, propitiation. Now, I have to confess that when I was younger... Fresh out of seminary and get one of my first times preaching, I wanted to preach on propitiation, but then I was like, I can't preach about propitiation without talking about imputation, and I can't talk about imputation without talking about justification, so I titled my sermon, Justification, Imputation, Propitiation. Pardon me. To me, that made a lot of sense and was hilarious. And I tried to take an entire seminary course and, and scrunch it into, well, I think it was 55 minutes. But, uh, so I must repent of my earlier years of trying to say too much um, uh, and the truth of God's word that there's so much goodness and truth that other words just don't satisfy this word, which is kind of funny. But uh, it is the propitiation, it not only covers our sins but it satisfies the wrath of God. That, that Jesus Christ, when he came, he was the perfect sacrifice who lived a perfect, sinless life on our behalf because we cannot keep the commandments of God. He went to the cross, shed his blood, which forgave our sins and satisfied the entire wrath of God. Like, uh, <clears throat> we have to understand how important that is, that we can come before our almighty creator knowing that, that Jesus paid it all. That on that cross, he was the crucible of the wrath of God poured out on him so that we do not have to endure the wrath of God. Propitiation is a beautiful word. And it's a huge promise that he's given to us. He calls us sons and daughters. In 1 John 3, 1, his word is true and it will protect you against evil, Psalm 93, 5. He promises to forgive us when we confess, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful promise. Nothing can separate you from his love, Romans eight thirty eight and 39. and 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, he will help you overcome temptation and live victorious in this life. And those are just a few of the promises of God, but so much richness, so much truth to hold fast to that when we remember our creator in the days of our youth, when we remember that he is God, that he has done so much for us. And he promises to do even more abundantly than anything we can ask or imagine that it gives us a desire to live for him, to prioritize our life around who he is and not over our feelings which as i say sometimes feelings are fickle they change the passing days and if we allow our circumstance or our feelings to dictate how life goes then we're going to end ourselves up and end up feeling very depressed as as um was stated earlier but god calls us jesus said it this way but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you and so we prioritize our faith. Thirdly, we need to lean on the dependable word of God. If we jump down into verses 9 through 12, he says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, And like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings, they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. If we're going to... Remember that life passes quickly and prioritize our faith. We need to hold fast and lean on the word of God. Here we see the preacher did his diligence to learn, understand wisdom, and learn how to communicate wisdom in a way that would be effectual and helpful for others to follow as well. And we know from the the scriptures that God moved prophets along to present his word. And so when it says... um, that the the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings they're given by one shepherd that God is orchestrating even the writings of the preacher here for our good to present his word of who he is and so if we break down verse 11 the words of the wise the word of God is like goads like goats. Goats was a, a, a sharp stick used to prod along cattle to keep them on the course they were going to. There's also some that were, t- were fastened to the bottom of a carriage to keep the horses or the cattle from kicking back up and destroying the carriage. But it, it directed them and where they would go. And, and Jesus said to Paul, it says, it's hard for you for kicking against the goats. Uh, like as he sought to glorify God in his zeal uh, and ignorance, he was just um, persecuting the church. And and then it led to God calling him out of that. And he uses this illustration that the word of God prods us or leads us or guides us to where we're supposed to be. And we we see this in Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing uh, to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, when we go to the mirror of God's word, we see that it shows us what's really going on. And it brings conviction of the Holy Spirit to guide us to where we need to be um, and, and maneuvers us. And so when we go to the word of God, we should be looking for how, God, do you want to use this in my life? Now, we have to avoid the trappings of going to the word of God because we know somebody else that needs this. And so often, oh, yeah, this is, this is good. I need to tell this person. Oh, I need to, I need to confront this person. Oh, and we fail to stop there and say, wait a second. This is for me. God is writing to me to tell me where I need to get right with him and where I need to serve him and know him better. And so it's like like goads. But it's like also like nails firmly fixed. And as I was thinking about this part... It was, the collected sayings are like nailing them in and firmly there that's something you can hang upon and depend upon. And uh, years ago, I was um, instructed by a pastor who just resonated with me when we read a verse that's very familiar to us. Um, This thought, it says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, it says and, and Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And uh, in this, when Jesus asked what was the greatest commandment, he responds with loving God and loving others. Um, as we like to say, love God, care for others. Um, and, um, and, but here it says, on these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. And he said, if you take <sighs> loving God and loving others as a uh, as a nail driven into wood that you hang the rest of the law and the prophets upon, uh, and then it, it is a sure thing that as we look through the Bible and we consider the love of God that he has demonstrated to us and the love he calls for us to have for others, um, And then that is a lens we look through the rest of the Bible on, then we will hold all things together. But if you imagine pulling that nail out and the mirror of God's word crashes on the ground and then we try to use the word of God for ourselves, it's like glass shards that cut and hurt and wound because we're not using it with the understanding that God is a relational God. A loving God that has called us into a loving relationship with Him, called us into a loving community, the church, and called us to share His message of love to the world. And so, uh, it and so as I read that, I'm like, it is oh, the God's word. It, it is dependable because it pushes me to where I need to go, prods me on. Uh, but it's also then what I can hang my life on. I can depend upon it. It is a firm foundation. It is sure thing. And then it's given by one Shepherd coming from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 17 said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is given to us by God. It is breathed out by God that it is a divine book. It is unlike any other book. And so we <clears throat> when we come to remembering our creator and we, we depend upon God's word, we come lastly to a prescription for a life to the full. In Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen it says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And <clears throat> all throughout the book, as Solomon Instructs to find joy and to take joy in our work and to take joy um, in what God's done. But he also says, in enjoying life, remember that, that God is a judge. And so he's not, he's not just condoning, just go live the life and do whatever you want. He's saying, remember, there, there's a God who will call everything into account. So when you enjoy life, enjoy life the way God intended. And this is at, towards the conclusion. And so he says, we, ha- we have this conclusion that that there is a way to life to a full. There is a, life to, a way to a good old age to enjoy this life. In the handout, I, I quoted from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says, uh, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we do this by fearing God and <clears throat> fear God. Proverbs nine ten: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And as we're considering the this, again, the series, that it's less noise, more insight. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There's so much going on in our world that distracts us from who God is and what he's doing and what he has for us. And we, we hardly ever unplug or step away. And, and one of the privileges of... Um, having a sabbatical, uh, to step away, um, and thank you very much, um, all of you who have helped me go on that sabbatical and give me time away just not too long ago, um, but being able to step out into the mountains and into the wilderness, out the ocean, and just to unplug, um, you know, there was a, a quote, give go where the cell phones, uh, don't roam, you know, so, like, I was out in places where I couldn't get any reception, and, uh, you know, it was great, Unplug completely and just you know just sitting and listening and hearing uh, god's uh, voice opening up the word of God and, and writing is it is refreshing to the soul and it 's a pattern that we we should um, develop it at uh, some of our youth retreats we we oftentimes do a hour of solitude, uh, just completely unplug, go out, find a space, be alone with God, and then uh it when we first started thinking about it, a lot of times we're like, oh, the teens are not gonna like this. Um, and oftentimes they don't think they're gonna like it, but then they go off and at the end of the hour, we bring everybody together and say, okay, what, what happened? What'd you learn? And I'm always impressed on how so many enjoyed it um, and, and learned something. And it's, and it's just amazing that time we set aside to, to hear God. And, and so we need to shut the noise off so we can gain insight of the knowledge of the Holy One. And we do that by fear of God. And and first, when we come to fear of God, there are many interpretations of what the word fear means. And the first reality is this. As humans that are fallen, there is to be a terror of the God of wrath who calls all sin into judgment. That's, That's a reality of this world. That's crossing the pain line, as a preacher friend of mine likes to say. The importance of that there is a judgment that's coming on all sin. But there's a fear of, for us as believers who know God that says because of the propitiation, because of what Jesus Christ has done, I no longer have to be in terror of judgment Christ paid for that on the cross this is an awe and respect of a God who loves me and calls me and so it's to stand at a foot of a mountain and see the majesty of God and just be like, whoa he's so much bigger than I, to stand at the ocean and look out upon the expanse and say wow, God is so much bigger than I I can't even imagine, as we sing the song of grace is an ocean, we're all drowning, like, right? It's just so big and so unimaginable. To to go out on a uh, cloudless night and look up at the stars and see the universe and say, wow, what is man that you are mindful of us? The heavens declare the glory of God and his majesty. That we come to a place and we say, God is bigger than me, and he knows more than I know, and I, I can't wrap my hands around it, and I have to just acknowledge that, that I'm nothing compared to him and that I'm not deserving of any of the love or grace that he's poured out and yet he continues to do so. And when we put things in proper perspective that he is God and I am not, it begins to open up the understanding to life to the full. Because we fear God and keep his commandments, we need to keep his commandments. Again, uh, O in the alphabet of a good old age is obedience. Obedience. And I wanna read a few thoughts, again, from Derek Prime. The idea of obedience to God is not immediately pleasant to fallen men and women, the descendants of Adam and Eve. To obey God seems to be restrictive and forbidding, almost insanity, some might say. It appears contrary to our human freedom and something that may diminish our enjoyment of life. In fact, the opposite is the case. If the enemy of the souls who misled our first parents in the Garden of Eden who perpetuates this lie, how we view obedience to God indicates how real our relationship and fellowship with him is. A key evidence of spiritual new birth is delighting to do what God wants. When the Apostle Peter begins his first letter writing to both Jewish and Gentile believers scattered throughout the ancient world, the four things they had in common through their identical relationship to the Lord Jesus were that they had been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Obedience to the Lord Jesus was and is the evidence of God at work in a human life. Our initial obedience to the gospel and to the faith, having discovered that the Lord Jesus is the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, being a Christian is honestly responding to, to the teaching from God's word that first brought us into right relationship to God. Christian obedience is uniquely different from all other forms of obedience. It is not so much as obedience to gain God's favor, but an obedience because of his favor to us. God does not accept us because we are obedient, much as our newfound obedience pleases him. He accepts us and saves us by the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, an obedience that brought him into the world that he exhibited in every part of earthly life and that took him to the cross to die for our disobedience. Obedience is the essence of our daily relationship to God as his spiritual children. Just so important to see that when God calls us to obey his commandments, it's he's calling us to walk in a closer relationship with him. Imagine someone you love that you want to always get along with and never argue with and and understand just kind of gave you like exactly how you, you could act to to get along with, and you'd never have to cross lines. We just knew exactly what he wants, and God's word tells us what he wants for us to approach him, to walk with him. It does tell us that we have to come to God on his terms, not on our terms. And so in order to obey, we have to say, wait a second, my way's wrong, which is repentance, and to say God's way is right. I need to live a repentant lifestyle. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The evidence of love is keeping commandments, and, and that is an outflow. It's, again, it's not something we do to earn God's love. God demonstrated his love towards us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Uh, but because he demonstrated his love for us, and when we understand the amount of love that he has poured out towards us, it should call us into a deeper walk and desire to obey him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As we learn to fear God and obey, others will see that there's something different about our life, and it will bring them to a place where they want to know who God is. And we can do this. And Paul tells us that, so whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we can do all for the glory of God. That in everything we find our hands to do, and everything that we do throughout the week, we can find ways to do for the glory of God, to be with God, because God is in our midst. He is with us, and he's empowering us to live this life. <clears throat> and so we need to step back, and we have to learn, okay, how, how do I do this? How do I, again, it goes back to ruin we remember our creator, and we spend time in God's word to learn about who he is, what he's done, when we pray through the scriptures, and we regularly gather in community with other believers and then we go learn how to be the hands and feet of Christ in this world uh, that we will be encouraged by the power of the Holy Spirit to continue on growing. And as we come to the conclusion again of, of Ecclesiastes The fact is that life is passing so quickly. Therefore, prioritize your faith in God by remembering who he is, what he has done, and the promises he has given. Lean on the dependable word of God for guidance and hope, which gives us a prescription for life to the full by fearing God and obeying his commandments. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful that we can be here together today as a community to open your word and to remember that you are our creator. Lord, as we look at our own lives and we see the evidence that life does pass quickly um, and that uh, time is fleeting. Uh, Lord, and the pleasures of this world are empty apart from you. I, Lord, that we we need you daily. Uh, Lord, I, pr- I pray that you would help us uh, through your spirit to have active memories, that we were engaged understanding who you are and what you're doing in, in our lives. Lord, that we'd hold fast to your promises. So often we get caught up in these circumstances of this life, Lord, and you promise that even through the valleys of the shadow of death, you will be with us. So we need to fear no evil. And so, Lord, as we uh, conclude our time in Ecclesiastes, help us remember that there is a good life, there is a good old age, one that remembers you and, and obeys you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.